everyone, and welcome to the Forward Thinking Podcast. It's Chrissy here from CS2. Today we have Sean Lane, who's the Senior Director of Field Operations at Drift. And Sean is also the host of the Operations Podcast with Sean Lane, which is also hosted by Drift. And I was recently on Sean's podcast, and I enjoyed our conversation so much that I was like, hey, why don't we return the favor and have you on? So um, today we're going to be talking about uh, structures for operations and specifically the one that uh, Sean's team has where he runs their field operations team um, and, and talking through, you know, what it took to get there, testing that framework, uh, potentially all different changes and and really, how do you create a great um, operations team that can support your your revenue team? So um, welcome to the podcast, Sean. Thank you so much for having me, Chrissy. It's fun to be uh, on the other side of this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, before we dive in, um, sometimes I just like getting kind of like a little bit of a background for how the person uh, got into operations or B2B marketing. Um, so can you just walk us through a little bit of your background and how you got into operations and to where you are today? Yeah, for sure. So um, the thing that I usually tell people about kind of my journey is I feel like I've kind of taken a number of different tours of duty in different parts of the customer journey. So prior to Drift, I worked for a restaurant technology company and um, started my career there in post-sales. So I worked in onboarding and support, mm. um, account management, doing a lot of that post-sale work. And so got to know everything that happens for customers right after they signed on the dotted line. And so uh, I ended up running our onboarding and support teams for a little while there, and then completely jumped to the other end of the customer journey uh, and ran our SDR team for a little while. So that sales development mm. function that's there to book meetings for the sales org and that was really where I started to learn about both growing teams, but also to learn about like how funnels worked, right? If you're a half decent yeah. SDR manager, then you start to get pretty good at some of the operations components of, of, run, of running a team and, and building the day in the life of what an SDR could be doing. How do conversion rates work? How do handoffs in the customer journey work? And so I got a lot of exposure there. And as that company was growing, we were starting to see kind of silos popping up across different parts of the organization. And so we decided to create a centralized ops team. And so that's where I really got to be in ops full time for the first time um, and built out that that centralized team and using the experience that I'd had both post-sale and pre-sale and, and then have been able to leverage that, and for, that at Drift. And so I've been at Drift uh, for four years now and have really worked across all of the different kind of go-to-market operations functions. So little bit of marketing ops, a little bit of sales ops, a little bit of customer ops um, to, to where we are today. That's cool. Yeah. I, I, I like that because um, one of the things that, and I haven't really even thought about that before, but I, since I started in operations, I was always really interested in the SDR team and like the operations of that team. I always worked really closely with them. I would like sit next to them. I'd always like find myself really close to the manager of that team. Um, which helped because a lot of the things that we do support those teams in operations, especially marketing operations. But I then even later uh, ended up having to build the, a team myself. Um, you know, you get, you ask for, an, we need SDRs. Okay, well, why don't you go build that team? <laughs> 
Um, but it is it is a, a great kind of learning bed, um, even you know, to even understand Salesforce or whatever CRM you're using because you're, you know, you kind of need to train and teach that process. So I, I think that that's a, um, a really good segue. Like you said, too, you understand like the whole kind of like revenue process and handoff. Um, so that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I always say that like being an SDR manager was the most fun job I ever had, but it was also the hardest job I ever had. I think it is the hardest yeah. job in any organization. And so I have the utmost respect for really good SDR managers. And I also think for ops people, if you've kind of done some of those tours of duty, it gives you like mm -hmm. a true empathy for the people that you end up having to work with and partner with across your organization. And so when I'm working with our SDR leadership team, I know what they're going through, right? I know how hard mm -hmm. it is to, to grow and recruit and maintain talent within their teams. I know how the, the, the prescriptive you need to be about different parts of that job. And so if you're not just the person behind the spreadsheet, you've actually been in their shoes, which, um, you know, gives you a little bit of street cred, I think. Yeah. A hundred percent. I like even across other parts of marketing, like working in demand gen or then working, you know, in the SDR role, like I definitely agree with like that empathy, but also having that, that strategy mindset and like, um, of all the the empathy, like you said, of the teams that you support, but then what they're what a good strategy would be and how you support that, I think is is super key. Um, and it's a good thing for some people to hear because they might find, oh, this might not be where I want to stay in my role, but maybe operations is a path for them. For sure. So um, I think that uh, I like the tours of duties. I think that that's especially within a startup, you can easily do that. For sure. So yeah. um, cool. Well. To just dive into it, um, so we're going to be talking about today uh, at Drift, you have um, your field operations team. And a lot of the time, and this is a hard thing with operations, like we have all these different types of structures and teams. You sometimes have like a MOPS team and a sales ops team. You have a rev ops team, yep. which is, you know, garnered a lot of steam recently. And I talk about a lot. Uh, about my opinions on that. Um, and then, so your team is called the field operations team. And so what other, like, whatever nomicker we put on these things, it's really just a team that's like supporting, you know, the revenue team and the operations behind that. Yeah. And before we dive into what like field operations is, one of the things that you and I chat about is like, you know, things can change, structures can change. And we're seeing a lot of teams deal with that now. So, but what are kind of like the core, like, you know, things that despite the change that will be there, that need to be there within a structure and within a team, like what are kind of those core principles? Yeah. I mean, you're so right. Everyone's got a different version of the name or the language or the label that they put on their team. And really it gets down to like the work that your team is actually doing. So I will tell you for us right now at this moment, field operations is a fancy term for sales ops and customer ops together, right? So we look after that entire customer journey for sales and customer ops. Um, I think that if you are going to work in a hyper growth company, you have to be comfortable with the fact that your model is going to change, leadership's going to change. Um, and so change is inevitable and change is constant. My favorite GIF in the whole world is this pencil that just goes around in a circle and it's drawing a line and the eraser is coming around and erasing the line that it just drew <laughs> over and over and over again. And so like, that's what it's like to work in ops in a hyper growth company. And so 
the thing that we try to coach within our team, regardless of the structure, and we can talk about the structure is you just have to care about the other parts of the customer journey that you might not be responsible for, right? So if you are exclusively in sales ops, you have to care about what happened in marketing ops. You have to care about what's going to happen after you in customer ops. And so I think one of the strengths of of really good operators is that if they can look around corners and anticipate, okay, if I make this change in marketing, what are the ripple effects of that change going to be on sales? If I make this change in sales, Mm -hmm. what are the ripple effects going to be on the customer team? And so I think as long as you care, even if you are tasked with a specific charter in one of those groups, it's okay. It doesn't matter who you report to. As long as you care about what happens and you're considering the ramifications of your work on those other groups, I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, I think having that like full picture, I think this is probably going to come up a lot that I think is really key for ops people to to listen to and kind of like what you're saying with your tours of duty and you having a lot of empathy, but I think Oh, I I think caring and understanding about the big picture and the full picture and how like the alignment between the teams is key. And I think I say this a lot where if you're choosing to go down a path of using a structure for RevOps Day and that's because you think that other companies are doing it, you're doing it wrong. Mm. If you're thinking that this is a great way to like increase alignment across your teams, well, that's a good enough like answer to that. And so the focus should be on creating that alignment. And a lot of that is making sure that those teams understand each other or working together. And even if that's just, you know, updating them or, or having supporting like, um, interlocks where they're understanding, like, what are the core business objectives they're supporting and what are those like roadmaps that they're working against? So, but I a hundred percent, like, a true like great operator is not so insular, not so like focused in their silo, but really thinking about how what they're doing affects other teams and also what the other teams are doing that could affect them. And it's a skill that takes practice, right? Like operators are problem solvers by default, right? We want to take the thing that's put in front of us and make it better. The thing is, right, if, if you have a problem right in front of your face and your knee jerk reaction is to swat that problem away, chances are like you might've just triggered three or four other problems by the way that you swatted (laughs) that away. Right. And so you have to consider the ramifications of how you're solving that problem. And then as long as you can work closely with those cross-functional folks that you're supposed to be partnering with, that's where I think the best teams kind of can come together again, regardless of the reporting structure. Yeah, totally. Um, Okay. So so for the for field operations, and you said that is made up of sales ops and and customer success ops. So what was that like kind of path to getting there and like making the change? And um, could you just break down kind of how you structure the different like where your focuses are across that team? Yeah, for sure. So I think for a lot of people, as they're either coming into an organization or if they're trying to figure out how to set something up on their team, the two kind of Mm -hmm. main models that are out there in operations world are what I think of as like a centralized model um, or a decentralized model, right? So the centralized model, I think of as like a hub and spoke. Ops sits at the center. You have spokes out to all of your different go-to-market functions. Maybe that's RevOps, maybe it's field ops, whatever you might call it. 
And the big advantage of that model is the fact that you can look across that entire customer journey without those silos popping up, right? And you you basically are a single team that is servicing every single part of the customer journey. A potential mm -hmm. con of that model is that you are spread so thin across all those different groups that like sometimes the loudest voice, usually sales, is going to get the, the majority of your time and effort. And you end up with internal customers who don't feel like they're getting what they need. The other thing that I yeah. think could be a potential con of the centralized model is you don't end up with any sort of deep expertise. You own your very mm -hmm. surface level. Um, and so there's pros and cons to each one. If you flip that and you look at the decentralized model, the pro would be that you get all that depth of focus and you get that depth of expertise, but you might end up with some silos or you might end up with teams that aren't talking to each other. So I think as long as yeah. you understand those pros and cons and to your point, apply it to where your company is at, that's the best way to think about where your team is going to land. And so what we decided to do again, and this has changed over the course of my time at Drift and it's evolved, what we decided to do was mm -hmm. think about how do we balance both the type of work that we do along with who our internal customers are, right? And that's a tough balance for operations teams as they're building out their work. And so when we considered that, we landed on kind of three buckets of work, planning, execution, and insights. And those three buckets probably have exactly what you think they do, Chrissy, but we can talk more about those in depth in a minute. But I think where we landed on those was not only are these going to be our buckets of work, but we're also going to specialize our personnel inside of each of those buckets, right? And so again, mm. regardless of whether you're on for my team, the sales ops side or the customer ops side, we were going to use those three buckets to drive the organization of both our team, as well as how we worked with our internal customers, the sales leaders, the customer success leaders, the professional services leaders, right? And use that framework as, as kind of the starting point for any of the work that we were doing. And the thing that's exciting to me is as our team has grown, as the company has matured and the needs of the organization have changed, we've had to kind of stress test that model again and again, and it keeps surviving the stress tests. So that makes me excited mm -hmm. that it's still the right thing for us right now. Will it be the right thing in 12, 24 months? I don't know. But right now that yeah. continues to be uh, a great a great way for us to organize the group. Yeah, no, that, that's uh, that's really interesting. And I like the fact that you're talking about like with this um, specialized role. So maybe we chat through what each of those teams um, like kind of work on yeah. or look like. But I think to one of the things that I think a lot of people, especially that are hiring for operators, is that they if they do want this like very vast, wide knowledge and it's very surface level like that's hard to find you know it, it, and it's hard to find someone that's doing great in all those areas yes you do have some folks who can do that it does require time it does require a unique um, person who's maybe uh, spread their wings in organizations where they have owned a lot and specialized in a lot but in the talent pool right now especially now um, it might be useful actually to try and pair someone's expertise or skill set and then put them into a place where they're going to be really successful. So I think that that's interesting as far as like the specialties within that group. And you could switch people around, which is yes. also a very great learning experience because also one thing that for, and I've, I found this with myself in, in ops is once I felt like I was like, 
had something nailed down, I was like, okay, I need to move on to the next thing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> because I wanted to keep spreading my wings, but also new things and learning new things and new challenges is very rewarding. So yeah, can you talk through your your three groups with the planning and execution insights and like what are those kind of specialties or maybe even give examples sure. of the types of like projects or um, or even skill set that you look in for those people? Yeah, absolutely. And I think just to add on to your point, I think if you're really thoughtful about the team design and you're matching kind of the company needs with what people want, right, in their own career and their own growth, right? Yeah. If you're in planning, you are inevitably going to want to learn more about execution. If you're in reporting, you're right. going to want to learn more about, about planning, right? And so no one wants to end up being pigeonholed. And so we've tried to create opportunities for people who join the team to find that like exposure point that is interesting to them. And you might get exposed to it and decide, you know what, this is not for me. I am perfectly happy where I am in execution, or that might be the thing that triggers the next step in their career. So I think we've tried to be really thoughtful and open about that so that people don't feel like they end up getting stuck in a particular bucket. So I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll try, I'll talk about that. I'll have a comment for that, but I'll, after you uh, finish going through your special. Okay, cool. Now. So um, planning is basically everything that happens before a customer facing person is even in their seat, right? So it's things like territory carving on the sales side, book of business planning on the customer side. Um, how do we decide what our capacity models call for? How do we decide what quotas salespeople should have? Um, and then it also includes things like comp design, right? What are the behaviors that we want to incentivize and the levers that we want to use? So that's kind of everything in the planning bucket. Execution is everything that's tied to the day in the life of all of those different people, right? And the day in the life, depending on how your company is structured, might be very different for either different business units, different segments of the business, right? What a what an enterprise sales rep at Drift does during their day is very different from what an SDR does. And so that execution group is really responsible for both designing the day in the life, figuring out all the processes and tools that are going to underline that day in the life, um, as well as kind of your standard ops functions like pipeline management, forecasting, funnel metrics, all that good stuff. And then the third bucket, which I think is really like the bridge between the first two is insights. And that's where you're going to do a lot of your reporting, your analyses, and, you know, every operator ever has said that's where you want to like flip the switch from reactive to proactive, but that's the goal, right? Of having that bucket completely specialized is that you have someone whose full-time job is to be proactively looking for those insights to bring back to the business, right? Much easier mm -hmm. said than done, but that was why it was yeah. important to us to separate that out as its own third unique bucket. Yeah. And so for the, as far as like a path, like where do you see kind of people typically like start or specialize? Cause yeah. I would assume like from my experience, like on the planning side with territory planning and uh, you know, quota and all that, that, that usually requires a, a bit of experience of already doing that and understanding. Um, and I mean, all of these are specialties, yeah. right? But where do you see that? Like maybe if someone was going to come in and start out, would that be more on the execution side or would that be on the inside side? Like where do you see, or is it, does it not matter? Does it, is it just like you find someone with a certain specialty, pair them there, but then they might get interested in another area? Yeah, it's a great question. So like, I would say the simplest version is if you're looking to go into planning, 
those are folks that usually have some sort of like finance bend to them, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that they mm. had to have worked in finance, but maybe that was something that was they majored in or, or that was something like you have to have a little bit more of like that like love for Excel and spreadsheets and capacity models, yeah. right? As opposed to what we're actually doing in terms of the day in the life of a, an SDR, right? Um, the right. execution folks, the thing that we found really helpful about that is we've kind of specialized different parts of the customer journey and given someone ownership over that part of the customer journey, right? So for example, mm. we have one person who only works on our customer funnel, upgrades, expansions, cross sells. And so her primary customers are our account management and renewals teams. And so if you have either experience or an affinity for that part of the funnel, then we can kind of pair someone's skill sets and interests with a particular part of the funnel. And I think for people out there who are trying to build an ops team, you can give folks true autonomy and ownership over those different parts of the customer journey. And so you end up with people who are going really deep and becoming great experts in that part of the journey. Um, because mm -hmm. ops can be a pretty broad spectrum. You and I have talked about this in the past. Like it can become an overwhelming charter if you're trying to do everything. Yeah. And so I think the, the way we've specialized the customer journey has allowed us to use that design to our advantage and give people ownership over a very particular area. Yeah, I love that. I When I worked more in-house, I... Um, in marketing, even just in marketing operations, I would typically like have my team kind of tied to specific groups or stakeholders. And one of the reasons why I did that was because I, I knew that they could like go all in on that one process or part of that customer journey, whether it was like supporting the customer uh, marketing team versus like a partner sometimes I would, if I was short staffed, that, that would be that one person because they're very similar in supporting them. And then someone who would be like focused solely on supporting like more of the new business growth or demand gen team. And the good thing is like they, they got really close to their stakeholders they were supporting. They didn't have to, like you said, um, make this hard decision of who do I help first? Is it, it's in, like you said, is it the, is it the one who's the loudest? <laughs> is it the one who, who's like the pushiest? Like, you know, so um, they don't have to make those decisions on that. It's kind of clear of like who they're supporting and they create great alignment. And, and, and then also they just um, get that full picture of once you're working in something for so long, you can see incremental changes and benefits and, and, or things that aren't working. And so, but when you're spread thin, you can like lose sight of that. And so I always found that that was, um, really great. And it, it all rolled up into the same team, but like I having those specific kind of people and what I like what you're saying is part of the customer journey is great because you know, it's getting its full attention, yeah. you know, it's getting its due diligence and, um, because when it's not, or if one part is struggling, it's always a catch up like, Oh, this is, this is falling behind. Okay. Let's catch up. And that's when you become more reactive rather than proactive. And I think like the unspoken part of this too, is you're, you're trying as a leader and designing these organizations to make the most efficient use of the resources that have been given to you. Right. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. in a perfect world, to your point, like if you could have an ops person for every single VP, every single manager, like that would be amazing, right? But that's usually yeah. not the situation that we're in, right? It's usually not like an overly resourced part of your company. And so no. 
given those constraints, what is the most efficient way? And I think this idea of breaking it down by different parts of the customer journey, as opposed to saying, okay, every single one of you gets your own ops person is the way that we've chosen. I'm sure people have opinions about pros and cons for their model, but I think you do have to work within whatever constraints you have and figure out what the best way to staff your team is. And like I said, kind of serve those competing balances of the, the work that we're responsible for and the internal customers mm -hmm. that we partner with. Yeah. Um, 100% agree with that. The I want to dive into now kind of like how the team works and prioritizes. And um, as you know, as part of like the product mops method I talked about on your podcast, but it can be rolled out against any operations. But one of the, the main things we talk about is like a roadmap and um, you know, having those kind of key features that you're working on that supports your like business objectives, but for, for your team, like how, especially with your kind of three areas, how do you develop your roadmap? Like, what does that look like? Is it, is it across the whole team? Does each team come together and have like their own features that they're working on that joins that roadmap? And then, and then how do you communicate that back to maybe your other operations teams that are outside of field operations that maybe like could be part of those projects or potentially impact by those projects? Yeah, those are great questions. So I think one of the things that we learned as we were making the transition to these buckets was the, the amount of overlap that there was between the different parts of the customer journey, right? So like if you might have a separate sales ops team or a separate customer ops team or a separate marketing ops team within your organizations, I think if we take the planning bucket as an example, the stuff that you put in place to have to build a sales plan, right? Headcount, quota capacity, territory carving, a lot of the learnings from that are incredibly transferable and applicable to a customer success team's planning process, right? You're carving books of business. You're figuring out what the right ratios are. You still have to mm -hmm. tie that back to the operating plan. And so what we found when we've been designing our goals is a lot of the stuff that we have gotten good at, maybe your, your company was further ahead on being more mature in your sales planning process than your post-sale process. Let's use yeah. a lot of what we've learned and a lot of the stuff that we've already built out in sales to apply to the customer team. And so when we're building our goals now, we very much think of them as overall planning goals. And what are the things that we can beg, borrow and steal from each other's groups, as opposed to mm. these are the sales planning goals. These are the customer planning goals, right? We try to bring them together um, just because there's so much that we can learn from. And then to your point yeah. about kind of the more cross-functional nature of folks that we might rely on outside of field ops. That I think comes to any organization when you're goal setting, you have to know who your stakeholders are going to be and you have to know who might be responsible for a key mm -hmm. prerequisite or a key thing that might block your, your goals. And depending on how you set goals at your company, how do you go to those teams and get aligned with them and get them on board with whatever your plan is gonna be. So for example, we do our goals on a quarterly basis. If I have a goal that I'm gonna to need to partner with our sales productivity team, like enablement, then I have to make mm -hmm. sure that the thing that I wanna launch in Q1 is also on their Q1 goals. And I have a partner that I'm gonna work closely with. And so we encourage our team to do that for any group that might not be directly uh, underneath our, our field ops umbrella. Yeah. And then as far as the, you know, selling part or, or as far as like 
also letting the organization know like what value that you're providing. Like, is there anything that you do because you're working with these stakeholders? It's all also, that's great for the company knowing your value, but is there anything you do like internally to communicate back to the whole business of how you're supporting or, or what value you're delivering or even just to the revenue team? Are there any kind of best practices that your field operations team has to do that? Yeah, I think there's two big areas that you can be successful there. One is in the goal setting that you and I just talked about, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. And then second is in the routines and cadences that you have internally with those stakeholders. So first on the goal side of things, it's very easy for operators to write their goals based off of, you know, that the thing that they're going to build, right. Or the thing they're going to ship, yeah. right. Like I'm going to create this new workflow. I'm going to, you know, build this new process builder, right. Nobody cares, right. The thing that no. people care <laughs> about, right. Is the impact you're going to make on a specific business metric. And so we really yeah. try to write our goals based off of that business impact and the guidance that we typically give to the team, and, and I think folks who are writing goals, this is this is a, a good way to think about it, is imagine yourself at the end of the quarter, imagine yourself at the end of the year, whatever your time period is. If you can't measure in less than a minute whether or not you hit your goal or not, you probably didn't write a good goal, right? If you have like yeah. this big amorphous blob where you're like, yeah, I think this goal is kind of green, but we didn't really do this other part, like you didn't write a good goal. So I think that's the first way you can really articulate value of operations is by writing those good goals and being able to measure them using a metric that the business cares about. Um, yeah. And then the second thing is more of like an ongoing way to articulate that value. And that's in the routines and cadences that we have with some of those internal stakeholders that I was telling you about. So I know that on Monday at four o'clock every single week, I meet with the CRO and all of the VPs of sales, along with folks from the sales ops side of things to talk about priorities, ongoing projects, how we're doing against our goals, and also use that time to both reprioritize new things that inevitably come up. We do a, an identical version of that with the customer leaders on Tuesdays, right? So I know every week that we have that time to both make sure we're aligned, but also to be constantly in communication with them about what it is we're working on, what it is we're shipping, and how it is impacting the business. So I think if you're smart about the way you craft your goals and you're smart about those interactions that you have, you won't end up in a situation where ops isn't valued. Now, you have to continue yeah. to prove that over and over and over again, right? It's not a given, but I think once you establish that and then continue to follow through on it, that's a great way to make sure that people don't think of your team as, as a non, non-contributing partner to the business. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, 100%. I like that idea of like meeting constantly too um, and being a bit more like, proactive with like prior prioritizing. I think it's good to stick to a, you know, a more longer term roadmap of features that you're, you're executing against, but knowing also too, that we, we talked about this before, but you leave like 20% buffer on your roadmap for things that might come up because especially if you're a growth stage company or a startup, there's always going to be new things yeah. that might come up. So, um, and those, those might need to be reprioritized, but, um, for your goals, like you said, with the, the key thing I picked up was like measurement of those goals. And so that's one thing that if anyone listens to our podcast, we, we always talk about like outcomes mm. and like, how can you track like a specific outcome? And a lot of the times that's a long-term 
goal probably for the business um, or even just for that specific team. And it it's not just one project that helps you get there. There could be multiple projects. But I think tying a certain outcome that can be measured and is measurable, like you said, is is a good goal. Um or at least your project that you're prioritizing supports that goal or outcome. So then you truly can uh, measure and show the impact. And and like you said, it shouldn't be uh, so loose that you're like, well, this did that, you know, or (laughs) I'm not really sure. I think it did that. But I think the key takeaway from what you said is I think a lot of operators will focus just on the features, just on the even micro features, you know, because I think too, if we need to start stepping back and think more big picture, like yes, there might be a little bit little problem or little thing that we need to create, but even so, like, does that support our overarching um, goals? Um, We could probably let it go. I care. That's one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I care. You care. I'm going to think it's cool, but the, you know, VP of sales or, you know, chief customer officer at your company, like they're not going to care, right? They, they care about the outcome. And so I think that's a good totally. way to think about it. And, and to your point about like alignment and prioritization, you know, making sure you're not writing those goals in a vacuum too, right? If you, if you make sure you get alignment with those leaders on your goals, then when that new shiny thing inevitably comes up, you know, a month after you agreed on what the roadmap is going to be, you can point back and say, hey, remember we had this conversation about these goals. Perfectly fine yeah. to be fluid and be flexible. But if we're going to add this new shiny thing onto the list, one of the things we already agreed on probably is going to have to come off. And so then you can have totally. really good prioritization conversations because um, I, I had a former VP of marketing who we worked with and, and she always said like the best operators she worked with were masters of never saying no, but instead of saying which one. Right. And so yeah. like, if you can do that, then you're actually creating a good partnership. Totally. I love that. Yeah. And I think the the key part there, too, is like when you do say no too much, like then people will just turn their backs and go find another place where yeah. they can get it done or try and get it th- done themselves. So instead, like and, and sometimes it, it 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 becomes an education point, like it happens in marketing ops, sales ops, where people are like, oh, we want this thing. Okay, well, do you want that thing? You know, sometimes it's an education time to be like, well, is this the most important? Because we're doing all these other things. And also, did you know that in order to do that thing that you thought is simple, it actually has all these downstream effects and it actually takes my team hours and hours and to do. And I've noticed that once you educate or do that upfront education to that person and they realize they go okay it's actually not maybe we'll change my mind or you can find a compromise too yeah. and i think you'll you'll find that a lot in operations you know a sales leaders like oh i want this territory actually carved out this way and in this arbitrary thing that you have no data to support and you have to like you know make that education to say well it's not going to be great you know it's not going to be perfect and this is why um, and so, uh, you know, really focusing on um, that instead of saying no, it's also like if this is even a no, just educating to say like why this is probably should be a no and then moving forward. Um, and it makes you it, it makes you seem like more of a 
of a leader because you're actually they know that you now can prioritize yeah. but also that you can communicate back where your team's resources are most valuable yeah you own your business right you own your your yeah. function <laughs> and like we're not saying I, I i don't i'm not saying that we sh people shouldn't say no they should say no but you can't say no if you don't have either goals or agreed upon priorities to back up the, your reasoning, right? If you say no without a leg totally. to stand on, then you're right. They're just going to go off and find somebody else um, who will say yes. But if you say no and you have a reason and you have the business impact of the other priorities you're working on, that's when you're you're going to be well positioned to, to say no with, with purpose. Totally. All right. Well, the last thing I wanted to um, ask you, and I always like asking people this, but um, what is like one thing that you think um, organization or operators are doing wrong um, most when it comes to aligning their ops teams or even creating the structure? Maybe it's even something that you learned early on. But what do, what do you see as well? Because I know you, you talk to a lot of amazing operators on your podcast, but I'm sure you also see a lot of like your customers and or hear about a lot of people with their struggles. And what do you think that some people do wrong when it comes to that alignment? Yeah, I think there's probably two things that, that come to mind for me. The first is that if you are not positioned as a partner in the business, you're probably going to have a hard time, right? If, if ops is mm -hmm. viewed as a support function and you haven't established that partnership or have those routines and cadences with your internal customers, that's a tough mm -hmm. hill to climb. And so it's not impossible, right? If you're coming into a brand new company and that's the situation, there are ways that you can improve that by having routines and cadences, by having shared goals. But if you aren't viewed as a partner, like that's gonna be tough. Um, and then the mm -hmm. second category for me is like kind of the inverse of what you said, which is not seeking out role models and not talking to other companies about how they do it, right? If you're trying to build this like super novel, unique way of running an operations team that is not based in companies that you might find to be role models or companies that have been there before you, you're just setting yourself up for a lot of pain, right? Most of the problems that you and I face are problems that other people have solved before, right? Um, yeah. We're not, you know, splitting atoms or anything over here, right? Like we, there's unique solutions, right? And we can innovate on stuff that people have already done before. You don't have to do it cookie cutter. But I think a big mistake that I made early in my career was not seeking out role models, not looking for folks who had been there, done that. So I can skip a bunch of the pain myself, right? And to your point, the podcast has been, you know, a cheat code in, in doing that, right? Uh, if you track people I talk to like you, a lot of the stuff I ask them about are challenges that I'm facing in my own business, right? And so it's a great way to learn. You don't have to have a podcast. Reach out to people on LinkedIn. People are very generous um, and you can learn a lot from them. Yeah, totally. I I think I, I even do, I one of one of my things that I, I realized I have a few kind of other uh, agency owners and CEOs that I, I have yeah. mentors of. And that's been a game changer. I think I always felt like before I had to like figure things out on my own and, and do things as, you know, uh, as you know, and I would feel like why, you know, very, very much like just taking everything on myself. But like you said, even if they're doing something completely different, a lot of the same challenges that they have, um, you know, are there. And so getting, if they've, and, and if they've figured that out first, like they're more than willing to share. And so I think finding some key like mentors or people you can lean on, um, I think is super helpful. And it just opens your eyes. Yes, you can do things different, 
you know, it doesn't mean you need to copy what other people are doing, but it just saves you that time. Um, and it's pretty inspiring too. And, and you start to build relationships where that you can kind of lean on that, that person and, um, it, makes you feel less alone. One of the things that I always say as a leader, it can feel really lonely. A lot, um, you know, sometimes when you're not a leader, not a manager, you have that camaraderie, but the higher, higher you go, you find, oh, who else am I going to look to? Um, and so in operations sometimes as well, when you're an operator, like operations leader, there's not a lot of people across organizations that are dealing with a lot of the challenges that you are. They're pretty unique in one organization, but there are other leaders that you can look to across other companies to help. So I think that that's great advice. And by the way, like the the social proof is so powerful, right? If you do then need to go back to your boss and pitch, hey, this is the way I think we should organize our team. And by the way, I talked to companies A, B, and C about how they do it. And that's what led me to this recommendation your recommendation is so much more powerful because it's backed up by the research that you've done, right? And so totally. don't just take that information in and, and hold it to yourself, share it, right? And and use it yeah. to your advantage because if people will look at your recommendations in a much different light, knowing that you've done that legwork. Yeah, great. I love that. Ending on a positive note. Um, thank you so much, Sean, for being on the podcast. Um, we'll link to Sean's uh, LinkedIn profile so you can follow him on LinkedIn. And um, we'll also share a link to the operations podcast with Sean Lane. Um, you can easily find it just searching operations on Apple Podcasts and you'll see it. It's right there. So um, thanks again. We really enjoyed our conversation. And thanks everyone for listening to today's episode of Forward Thinking. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your colleagues and friends, and we'll see you next time. Thanks so Have much, Chrissy. Time.